0: This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. My message this morning, which will become clear, is uh, called a visit to the optician. Uh, A visit to the optician Uh, Something I don't really enjoy. Um, I, I find a visit to the optician a surreal experience. I often think whenever he's turned out the light and he's telling you to look at this thing on the wall and he. Then he sticks his face in front of you so you can't see the thing on the wall. And he says, no, look at the thing on the wall. And he's sitting there and he's practically got one knee on your chest. And he's looking at you. And I think if someone is to walk in right now, this is just going to be bizarre. Uh, it's going to be odd. Um, sight is such an important thing. It is a thing that many people take for granted. Um, But if you've been blessed with glasses, um, you don't take it for granted. Um, I can remember a number of years ago, my brother bought a pair of Oakley sunglasses, and I said, if I ever get contacts, I'm gonna get Oakley's, and sure enough, Five years later, I got contacts in the bottom of Oakley's and they were rubbish. <laughs> but sight is so important. It's so important that we see what was happening around us. It's so see, it's important that we don't bump into things, that we can appreciate the brightness of the sun and the colors that we see out there uh, in our daily lives. It's important that we don't get knocked over and we don't knock anyone else over. It's one of those things that is vital and we take it so much for granted. I think out of all the senses, it is the saddest one to lose. Um, I had a good friend of mine who was diagnosed with macular degen- degeneration a number of, number of years ago now. I'm sure it was near 15 years ago, and he, he said at the time, uh, the idea being that the condition leads to blindness. And he had said, "I'm going to end it all when I get blind. I'm going to end it all." And I thought it was the saddest thing, saddest thing to hear him say that. Um, he, he hasn't lost his sight, but he, he still, you know, it's sad whenever if something affects our vision. It's important we do all that we can to look after our eyes physically and spiritually you know it's easy in this life to become short-sighted to see no further ahead than today or what's in front of us right now this week or maybe this month we we become very short-sighted by what happens around us there is people who are long-sighted but we're talking today really about short-sightedness and blindness our eyes are continually dragged to the latest thing that happens in our world. It's, it's dragged to the latest thing that happens in our community or in our family, and we forget about things out there, and we're looking here. And it's right in our face. And it's always bringing your vision to right here and not to out there. We become <laughs> short-sighted. Things happen to us. Things jump up like children begging for attention. Have you seen the parents? And, or have you even been the parents? And their kids are jumping up and down. I'm thinking of Brian there. And the kids are, here, I'm here, I'm here. Give me attention, give me attention. You know? And y- your vision goes from what you're looking at out there and, uh, in the world and, and in your life and the important things of life. And it becomes prescient. It becomes right here and right now. And it happens to us. It happens in life. It, it happens everywhere. I mean, how many of us complain about our jobs and yet we're so busy working, we do nothing about getting a new job? How many of us complain about not spending enough time with our family and yet do we ever make any time to spend it with our family? How many of us plan to have people over to the house or, oh, we better go out with such and such, but after a busy week, we're going like, oh, I'm so knackered, I don't even think I could even bother. We become very in-your-face and it becomes very short-sighted. Our, our vision gets no further than the, the end of your nose. You know, I was talking to uh, as Alicia's graduation this week, and I was saying to her, you know, now that you've started a proper job and you've realised the two great things in life, that there's only two permanent things in life, and that is, all the, the older people know, death and taxes. Young people don't know until they get a job. <laughs> and I said, you know, you don't have to live for the weekend. There's more to life than just a Friday night or a Saturday night or a Sunday night. There's every night. But but things become like that in our lives. They become so in your face that we can't see beyond right now and right here. And it's dangerous. It really is. It really is dangerous for us as individuals to live that way. If we don't plan ahead, if we're always firefighting, if we're always looking at the emergency right here, Yes, you have to deal with that, but we have to look down the line. We have to look ahead and beyond that. Parents obviously develop that skill when it comes to their kids very early on, because they have to. But for us as believers, this is something that that we have to do as well. We have to think in terms of, of down the line, of further ahead. If you have your Bible with you this morning, I want to turn to the book of Mark. I've got a couple of passages I want to read to, but I want to set the stage a wee bit with this idea here in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 8. This is our visit to the optician today. <clears throat> Mark chapter 8, 22. It's a somewhat well-known passage, and yet it's only in the book of Mark. It says, Mark 8, 22, it says, Then he came to Bethesda, and they brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. And so he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. I found that amazing, isn't it? He led him out of the town. Anyway, um, and when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, he asked him if he saw anything. And he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Then he put his, eyes, uh, his hands on his eyes again and made him look up. And he was restored and saw everyone clearly. It's a fascinating passage, it's a fascinating miracle. It really is. It, it comes here in like I said, it's only in the book of Mark. And just before this miracle, if you were to go back a few verses, you see where the, the Pharisees have come to Jesus and they've said to Jesus, Show us a sign, show us a miracle, go ahead, do a trick. And Jesus warns the disciples. He he doesn't help them. He doesn't do anything for you. He's like, listen, I'm not doing nothing for you. And he goes to the disciples and he says, listen, be aware or be wary of the leaven of the Pharisees. And then we have this miracle almost after. Certainly it's after in the scriptures. It's like a window into Jesus' ministry. It's almost like an idea. Yes, there's someone being healed, but in the book of Mark, it pops up. Like, the Holy Spirit is inspiring Mark, obviously, to write this. And the Holy Spirit's saying, listen, just as people didn't see what Jesus was doing, just as they didn't understand what Jesus was doing, that's like the condition of this man who was blind. He didn't, you know, he was blind. He couldn't see what was happening. And people, are going to, people were doing that about Jesus. They couldn't understand. They seen Jesus and what he was doing, like blind men, seeing men like trees walking. They didn't understand what was, the message was. They were blind to their condition. They were blind to their world and blind to the things that are important. There's a symbolism there that's being sp- sp- passed on to us. We know there are important things, but we see them in our lives as trees walking. The important things are there, but blurry, just on the edge of our vision at times, especially the way this world is set up and the way that media and information is coming at us so quickly. Everything becomes blurry. It's a blur. I I don't know how many times I have started conversations with people, especially when it comes to the World Cup. I was reading somewhere or I heard somewhere or I seen somewhere. Because I couldn't even tell you where I've seen it or heard it or read it. But I know that I've heard it or seen it or read it somewhere. It's a blur. And there's only picking out pieces that you're gathering. And we can do that. We do that all the time. And, and it, it's dangerous in this day and age for us spiritually. If that's all we're doing. If all we're doing is, I, I, there's something, I see a tree, I see a tree. It's walking. We need to clear our vision. We need to, to hone what we're seeing. And we need to actually put a bit of effort into it like the idea of effort but we have to do it we have to look on things that are eternal look beyond the prescient beyond the here and now beyond the thing that's in your face jumping up and down for attention and become a bit better sighted the bible as I said it warns about being short-sighted and blindness it's warned over and over again As I said, I can remember going to the optician many times. And it's been a wee while since I've been. Because thank the Lord, my eyes haven't degenerated. They're all good. But I can still remember going to the optician. The first time, I think I was 12 or 11. And uh, I went to the optician. And of course, he he puts the, the, the weird glasses on. With the lenses, and he puts it in better, worse, better, you know, and and he changes them around. And you're thinking to yourself, he's got the same lens, he's just moved it over this way, so that I'm going to be convinced he's put in a new lens. And the truth is, when he moves it over that way, he just doesn't believe me. But one of the things my optician said to me, my first optician I went to, and he's the only one ever to say it to me, he says, What do you need to do? He says at night, whenever you're about to go to bed, before you go to bed, he says, you do is you put your thumb up in front of your face, probably about a foot, foot away. He says, and you look at your thumb for a few seconds, and then you look past your thumb at the back wall. So then you look at your thumb, and then you look past your thumb at the back wall. Now, obviously, I didn't do it, but if you do that often enough, And you do it, maybe even close enough. Because I've got good vision, close up, short-sighted. I can see quite clearly. But whenever you look past it, your eye muscles are, they're all working really hard to try and stretch the the lens and all the rest. And he told me this was a way to exercise your eye muscles. And if you actually do this in your own time, you'll see it actually. Oh, I can feel weird things happen in my eyes. But this was his advice to improving my vision. look cast the thumb at something further away, to stretch your eye muscles and to force them to move, I was going to say unnaturally, but to focus and refocus and focus and refocus. And in doing so, I'd be exercising my eyes, my muscles. I actually totally forgot about it until I was preparing this message. And I've done it a few times since, and I've gone to bed with sore eyes, but it's, it, you know, I, I don't know if it actually works. But you can feel something happening in your eyes whenever you're doing it. And it's interesting, you know. And it's something that I think that spiritually, there's a a truth in that. You know, I'm not saying that we spiritually hold something up in front of us that's earthly, that's prescient. We don't need to hold something up. It's always bouncing up in front of us. So it's jumping up and down, but we need to keep looking past it at things that are beyond let 's turn to second Peter chapter One. Second Peter chapter one it 's over to the right, obviously. I really came to love this passage in the, the, the book of Peter Second uh, Peter and first Peter a few, a number of months ago, and I keep coming back to it, and Peter here is, is, is pre, he's obviously speaking to the church, and he 's like a big spoon. He's just stirring the things up. Peter, he wasn't known as a great theologian. I mean, P- Paul was a theologian. But Peter was a big spoon. He stirred people up. He got people passionate. He got them alive again, excited about things again. He just stirred them up. And in this way, I believe he's hes exercising, he's exercising the believers. He's exercising our eyes to see better, to see clearly. Second Peter chapter 1. We'll just read. We'll, you know what? I'm going to read the first nine verses. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given Uh, has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly, kindness, to brotherly, kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So you can see where we're going with this. Peter is stirring them up. He's reminding them of where they are and how they've got to where they are. And he's, implan- he's giving them some tips that he has found that are important to him. Some things that he's thought, you know, by this point in his life, you know, he's going like, you know what, I need to pass on some, some insights. I don't want people to remember me as that a impetuous youth I was who was carried away with things. I want people to understand that I have grown. And here he's going like, listen, let's look again at the simple things. Let's look at the reality. We're not just here now popped up in front of us. And it's not just a fleshly world that's all carnal. We're not just people who just walk through this life. We have a spiritual element to us. It's important that we remember that what God has done for us and what he's done in us. Here he's highlighting that Jesus uh, here, as I said earlier there, it is impo- it's, a, it's a remarkable that that verse, the first verses we read that highlighted that Jesus took the blind man out of the town. He took him out of the town to bless him, to, to heal him. And we have been taken out of the town. Or as, as Peter there talks about being uh, escaping from the corruption of this world. And we need to be careful that we have been brought out of these things, uh, taken out of the affections of this world. Yes, we can, have, we can have affections, but we have to be careful those affections are held in check and that they don't run away and they don't carry us away. And all the vain things that charm me most, as the, the singer, uh, the hymn writer wrote. But we wander back into them, we get caught up in them again, and we need to remember to focus on these more eternal matters. This passage is of immense importance to us and believers because Peter is sharing insights into staying the course and avoiding failure as a believer. This is also a way to make a triumphant entrance into eternity. I read that and I just went, happy days. This is a way to make a triumphant entrance into eternity. When I get to heaven, whenever the veil is lifted and I am on the other side of the Jordan, I'm not going to be going, oh, it's just lovely you ever see those footballers when they score a goal Um, I tell you I'll be celebrating I'll be rejoicing I'll I'll be running around and going glory to God I'll probably miss most of it in the first half hour first four days because I'll just be saying praise the Lord I want to get there to see him who our hearts and souls love forget about the carrots this is far better than that short sightedness and eternity this is what we've got to think about Peter assures us that God's divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Verse 3 there. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. That's important to know. There's nothing else that's got to be revealed yet. There's nothing else that we need to, to know. No secret knowledge. No hidden messages But God has provided to us all freely, and willingly, and eagerly everything that pertains to life and godliness. It's quite a claim. When you think about all those other religions and all those other philosophies out there, out there, they might give people a little bit of peace or a little bit of contentment for a while, but they do not give all things that pertain to life and godliness. There's no life in them to start with. They're all dead philosophies. But everything we need has been provided by God. Praise the Lord. There's no secrets from God. God has revealed it all. He wants us to know it all. He wants us to be aware of it. He wants us to know it. It's wonderful. Just as his power saved us in the first place, now his power energizes us to live holy lives from then on. Notice the order life and godliness. When it talks about life, here it is not talking about the beat of our heart, but spiritual life. He makes us spiritually alive and gives us the wherewithal to live godly lives. So what has he provided when he provided for us all that pertains to life and godliness? Well, first of all, the high priestly work of Christ, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the new life that we received when we came to him at conversion. And the instruction of the word of God. These are the things God wants to use on us. But he doesn't want us to sit there. He wants us to use them ourselves. I don't like, I don't like using the word use when it comes to, the, to God and the Holy Spirit. But we need to exercise in those. We need to, to pray to the Holy Spirit and please open this word to me. Please reveal this to me. Please teach me. Please help me. Yes, yes. We need to do that. It's not wrong. It's actually encouraged by God to ask for help. Knock and I will answer. Seek and you will find. There's a promise in it. And he's encouraging us. Peter here is stirring it up. He's saying these have all been provided for us. And it's wonderful. We don't have to rely on a guru somewhere to to sit with his big long gray beard and his his lotus position for hours on end to give us a a, a revelation of what it is that's important in our lives. We've got the word of God. We've got the Holy Spirit working in our lives, stirring us, challenging us, leading us on. Verse 3, it says there, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory, uh, by his glory and virtue. God's divine power is the source of all things. This, these all things that pertain to life and godliness. Knowledge of him is a channel through which this is exposed in our lives. It's a channel in which we are, it's revealed in our lives and we realize it. John 17, 3 says, To know him is eternal life. So progress and development as we get to know him more is a progress into holiness. It's the becoming more like him. See what's happening. We're looking beyond the thumb in our face. We're looking out beyond that. We're looking at the eternal things, the things that are important. As it talks there about knowledge, this is the word knowledge, as I mentioned before, that knowledge is a, the word epinosis, a fuller knowledge, a knowledge that requires greater participation by the knower in the object known, thus more powerfully influencing him and her, him, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. He's leading us on. He's given us something that's going to cause us to change. It's going to cause us to want to change, to want to seek him more, to want to get to know him more. And it's wonderful. Wonderful that this reality has been presented to us. Peter's stirring them up. He's reminding them of these things. He's reminding them that you have been changed, been delivered, been set free. And then he comes down to the heart of the matter. It comes down to the actual nuts and bolts of it. Lift up your thumbies. Look beyond your thumb. Look at your thumbies. Come into the, the details of it. In verse 5 there, he starts, he starts his thing, list of, of things that we should be doing, that we should be thinking about, that we should be focused on. But for this re- very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness. The opposition says, if you don't have these in your life, If these don't abound in your life, you're short-sighted and blind. The prognosis has been declared. The prognosis has been given. Now we need a wee bit of exercise. We need something to correct our vision. We need something that will help us to refocus and get our eyes into alignment correctly. Since all these things have been given to us, See, it says there in verse 5, but for this very reason, giving all diligence. So what has just preceded that is the very reason that he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Oh, glory to God. He's given us a way. He's saved us. He's delivered us. He's done a work in us. He's changed us. He's changed the trajectory of our lives. Now, for this very reason, what's that clause? It's, we, we like to think of black and white and yes and no and it's absolutes. But he's talking about something that's a bit beyond that. It's something of the heart almost. But now for this very reason, now move on. Go on to these things. Now give all diligence to these things. See, this world uh, is very full of this idea is what, what, sh- what am I allowed to do? What is legally am I required to do? What am I legally obliged to do? That's what this world asks. What, what does the law say? What does the statutory requirement state? What is this? What? But for the believer, it should be, what ought I do? There's no law that says we should help our neighbor. There's no law that we should share the gospel. There's no law that we should read the Bible and, and get, pray and seek the face of God. There's no law. But we ought to. We ought to. We ought to go beyond those things. We accept Christ as our Savior. We do not suddenly become holy people. Yes, we become righteous. We, become, we are saved. We are right before God. But we just don't suddenly become saints that are just walking around with a wee glow around us. We don't suddenly become full of the knowledge of the Bible and, and all things pertaining to God. These are things that we have to grow in, that we have to develop in, that we have to look at. We have to work at it a wee bit. Yes, God has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, but he wants us to to, to operate in them, to use them. I don't know about you, but just that song this day, I need more of him. I need more of him, more of him, more of him. Even this week, as I've been studying and you know, preparing, I was going, I need more of him. I'm desperate for more of him. I, I need more of him every day. I need more of him in my life. I need more of the word. I need more of God. I, need to, I want God. I'm desperate for God. I wanna, I wanna see God move. Don't you want to see God move? Just by his power and by his spirit, move and change lives. He can do that. He is a wonderful God. He's willing to do it. Oh, I need more of him. As one commentator put it, there must be desire, determination, and discipline. We're happy with desire sometimes, but we need the others as well. We need to go on beyond that. When we think of the word add, we automatically think of, Add in terms of addition, said er uh, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith, add we think of it in terms of addition to add to um, to make more effective or more reliable or something like that there but again that's our that 's just our language that we use add it 's an unfortunate word that you translated. The word that's translated as ad is is more often than not in the scriptures. only two places it's translated as ad, and they're both in Peter. But other places in the scriptures it's translated as minister, or to supply, or to furnish. Our faith should not stand alone. It shouldn't be on its own, just, I'm a Christian, that's, that's all there is. That's our starting point. That's our foundation on which we stand on. Yes, that is all of God. God has given us the gift of faith. He has saved us. We are now exercising our faith in Him. But we don't just stop with that. I've got faith. I believe in God. No, we have to go beyond that. We have to strengthen ourselves, build ourselves up, as we've already said. Paul talks about people who are just saved, and that's it. They're saved as of by fire. It's like a man and there's a a, a wall of fire and he's got to get out of a house and he runs through as quick as he can with nothing in his hands. We want to be people who go into eternity fully dressed, more like him. It says that we shall see When we see him, we'll know him because we shall be like him. You know, we want to actually be like him. People as of by fire are getting over there going like, oh, wow. (laughs) That's what he's like. (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) So we need to be doing this. So we're not talking about add to make it effective, but to fully furnish our faith. Or to put it another way, operate our faith. So the, so the idea here is the first thing is we're to encourage to operate in or to fully furnish our faith in is virtue. So what is virtue? Virtue is that which is recognized. This is a quote from a, from a, a, a book. Uh, virtue is that which is recognized by all men as excellence, the excellence of man as man. Heathen moralists and philosophers had and continue to draw a noble picture of what man ought to be. Don't we see that every day? This is the the great man here. Look at his morals, his values. But as we see over and over and over again, they're often changing. They're often flawed. They're often compromised. They're not great images. But yet the Christian... Is expected to have a nobler ideal of what a man is. And I use that in the generic sense. A nobler ideal. The gospel presents us with a nobler ideal. So the word virtue, the clue is, it was used a few verses earlier. It says, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. So who was that t- who's that talking about? That's talking about Jesus. A true picture of man is established for the believer as a foundation in the person of Jesus. So we want to know what virtue is. We look at the life of Jesus. We look at him. Jesus is the ideal image of a man. Not a wimpy man or an overly muscular man. Not, not the physical. We're not talking about the physical. We're beyond that. We're talking about Jesus where he humbled himself. And he came to this world and lived a spotless life. He faced criticism and harassment. He faced open hostility from the movers and shakers of his day, from authorities in the religious sphere and society. He faced all that. He faced such criticism. I've said this before. I get blown away by the idea that the God of the universe limited himself for eternity, because it is for eternity now, in the body of a man. Jesus limited himself in the body of a man for all eternity and he put up with such harassment and the thing is he could have wiped them out he could have called 10,000 the angels at a drop of a hat but he didn't the life of Jesus is the life of courage and integrity He stayed true to who he was he was courageous for the mission to follow the mission he did what had to be done, what he was called to do, what he had been sent to do. His life was a life of courage and integrity. So we're exercising our eyes here. We're adding virtue. We're looking beyond this world, beyond the things that this world is presenting as the image of a man. We're looking at the real man, the man Christ Jesus. Let me come from, from virtue to furnish with knowledge. So you furnish your virtue with knowledge. This is especially or specifically spiritual truth. The emphasis upon studying the word of God and obeying its commands. I was reading, uh, I put on my Facebook actually an old hymn, which I hadn't heard in many years. Um, and I, I, the words of it have just gone out of my head. But uh, um, it was an old, old one and I, it brought back so many memories. But the writer of it actually wrote this hymn because I, once I have once I got this quote, I went and Googled her, her, her songs and she wrote that in one of her hymns, she wrote more about Jesus in his word, holding communion with my Lord, hearing his voice in every line, making each faithful saying mine. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. The word of God is so important. The knowledge and growing in these things, growing in the word of God, learning more. I learned so much from the word. I, I you know, you don't finish a degree uh, in Bible studies and come out knowing the Bible I, uh, I'd be so poor if that was all it was three years and you're done but, but I, I, every time you turn to the word and you, you read it or you just study it and you go, "Wow, wow that's, that's deeper than I expected there's more to that than I thought you can read it you know doing your word a day uh, and it's great and God will speak to us that way sometimes when you sit down you go a wee bit beyond that you look in the word meanings and analogies and and examples and things like that it's it's absolutely fabulous what is in the word of God so things jump up pulling our attention down and the word takes our vision past them to the eternity to the important things of life furnish with self-control as the next part or self-discipline or someone else has characterized it The controlling power of the will under the operation of the Spirit of God. Yes, discipline, self-control. are Not very comfortable words, but they're important words. Discipline in prayer. Discipline in study of the Bible. Discipline in the use of our time. Discipline in curbing bodily appetites. (laughs) Not looking, not looking. Discipline in sacrificial living. Oh, I don't like sacrificial living. Oh, it's too painful. <laughs> it's not comfortable. It's not comfortable. Remember a few years ago we did a fast? When <laughs> we fasted as a church. Oh, it's not comfortable. Oh, I want food. <laughs> I'm like a beaten bear gonna get home from work. <laughs> but it's important. Not because we're starving. We're going to talk about fasting now. Not that it's important that we're fasting. It's, not, it's that we're looking beyond. Fasting's the ultimate, because it's a physical thing. It's right in your face, and it's, well, it's right in your belly. And we're, but we're looking beyond it. You don't just fast and do nothing. That's what some people do to lose weight. <laughs> Take a fast day or a two. We're, we're talking about fasting for the fact that we're, we're ignoring the present to look at the future. So we spend our time, if we fast, looking at the future looking at the word looking to God we don't just fast and do yeah in that case we'll go for a wee walk and I'll just I'll just read the paper that's not what fasting's all about it's about discipline it's about bringing our wild physical emotions and and drivings and urgings and appetites all under control because we should be like that control look at Jesus Again, back to the ultimate example, looking beyond the, the, the thumb to him, what do we see? We see a man who's under control. Even in the horrors of pain and suffering, he still says, Father, forgive them, forgive him, for they know not what they do. Isn't that wonderful? Self-control should be furnished or supplemented with perseverance. Especially in this day and age, perseverance is important. Perseverance. We persevere in the things of God. Hold on in the things of God. Persevere. We're called to a life that's not easy. Yes, God has provided all things that pertain to life and godliness for us. But we still live in a world that is foreign to God, that doesn't know him, that doesn't like him. You know, we live in a world of the minute, let's say... That doesn't like Donald Trump. And just the mention of his name. It's like triggers all over the place. Wildfires spring up. People all getting up, up in arms. How much more? Really, to the things of God, to Jesus, to the word. This this world at the minute is so enamored with the God of sex. So enamored with the God of sex. It's really become the big thing. And if you look at all the big issues that are in the news and the headlines and social areas... It's all to do with sex, gay marriage, LBGT rights, transgender, abortion. They're all sexual in nature. We need to persevere and hold to the message, hold to the truth of what God has said, not to be swayed by these things that this world is wanting to sway us, not to be distracted by what's popping up in front of our face, because everyone everyone believes this. Surely you believe this as well. People are outraged whenever they find out we don't believe the same thing they believe. Well, but, you don't, but surely that church over there believes this. Do you not believe that? Well, if they believe that. That's their business, but that's not what the Bible tells me. I'm not talking denominationally here. I'm talking about people who wander from the truth of the scriptures. We're to persevere, to hold on, to live a life with tenacious courage and endurance holding on to the truth regardless of opposition. You see what the Holy Spirit's doing here? Do you see how he's trying to get our eyes onto the things that are beyond, not to be distracted? He's given us an eye test. He's given us some exercises that we need to do to stretch us. Furnish your faith also with godliness. This is something that is lacking in the church today. It is lacking. Reflecting the likeness of God with all that means in the way of practical holiness. There should be such a supernatural quality to our lives. There should be something about us that people recognize there's something different. We should be re- reflecting the, the glory of God. We should be godly people. We don't talk about godly people anymore. Godly people, you have to be over 70 to be godly. You have to have more white hairs than anyone else. <laughs> We're so much so we are so much more happier to be thought of people who are free. I would rather be free than godly. Isn't that what many people say? Or at least hint at. I know people who've put things on Facebook and you're looking at it and you're going like, you know, and, and we've had discussions, Sharon and I, and she said, Well, what do you think of that there? I go, Well, you know, if they feel free to do that, that's one thing, but they're not being godly. If you feel free to do something, you know, let's say for example going to the cinema, that's fine. But whenever you start rubbing the nose of people who feel awkward about or feel uncomfortable going to the cinema, you rub that in their face. That's not godly. We should be temper our our lives with grace and godliness. Be godly people. First Timothy four eight for bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. He's exercising us, he's challenging us. So furnish it. We go on then to the next one, which is furnished with brotherly love. John 13:3 or 1335. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Brotherly love is not always easy. In the church, it's not always easy but it's not an act of our emotions. It's not an act of our emotions. It's an act of our will. It's something we have decided. that We are recognizing that we are all family. Yes, I don't like what that guy likes. I don't like the TV show that person likes. I don't like this, or I don't like that, or, but I do like that. And we form our we cliques. But we shouldn't hate each other. We shouldn't love each other. We should be in brotherly love because that's actually working on us. That's challenging us, isn't it? It's challenging our perceptions. It's challenging our faith. It's challenging us to love the unlovable. What? Would that be like our perfect example of a perfect man, Jesus? Love the unlovable? It's testing us. It is difficult. But the more we do it, the easier it is to work in it. The easier it is to operate in it. And then that it becomes a genuine thing where we do genuinely love each other. You know, our cell group is it's, it's wonderful. You know, people in it who uh, were very different and very different personalities and very different, you know, hobbies and Gary, um, very different. <laughs> but <laughs> we're very different but you find as you come to the point as you spend time with people and we do it with the people we sit beside as well you spend time with people and you start to go well how was that wee holiday Trevor did you have a good time now that you're back you know uh, and we say Michael tell us about the honeymoon tell us about Mauritius (laughs) you know but we we start to care we start to have something in common yes first of all our first commonality should be the fact that we are all the children of God we are all brothers and sisters in Christ. But as we genuinely start to work at it, we have to work at it. We work at it and we, we sort of then become interested in it. And, God, and the Holy Spirit here and through Peter is, is saying, this is good. We should care about each other. We should be curious. I mean, How else are we going to pray for each other? How else are we going to help each other? How else are we going to lift each other up? Because we're encouraged to do that. You know, I can remember giving a, a best man speech at my brother's wedding, which was a very surreal experience. Uh, it was an open-air wedding and an open-air reception. And uh, his part of uh, America, they're not very uh, – their their weddings are different than ours. It was a buffet wedding. We had the ceremony. We walked over here, took pictures. Everyone walked over there and started eating. You know, and uh, then we went over, and they, they wouldn't have – because of their – Religious background, the, the the family wouldn't. They didn't have any music. There was no entertainment or or anything. They literally went over there, at, started eating, and then they sort of talked to each other and then left. Um, but Stephen, uh, but. Stephen's wife, Amber, she wanted to have a first dance with her dad, which is very nice, very sweet, you know. And um, uh, so that was okay. But I had to give a best man speech. So you're getting a cold turkey. Everyone's mouth is full with food, you know. The, <laughs> the giblets and the, <laughs> the grits and whatever else. They're all stuck eating away. And I got to stand up in the middle of this cold turkey and give a speech. And it was difficult, but it, was, it went down well. But anyway, part of my best man speech, I got up and I said to my, said to my brother... Stephen, always remember that Amber is a child of God. Always remember that that God loves her with an unconditional love and that God seeks her best. Uh, Amber, always remember that Stephen is a child of God. Always remember that God loves him with an unconditional love. Always remember that God wants his best. Now, every argument you ever have, always remember that at the end of it. You know? Get your spoken in as you can. <laughs> After your honeymoon, Michael. But realize that she's always right. Um, but, you know, you know what I mean? People have a marital, you are married, and they have disagreements. And they fall out for days. You know, people in church have disagreements, and they just leave. You know what? We are all the children of God. We are all individually highly loved by God. That's right. He wants our best for us. So any awkwardness, difficulty, personality clashes, we can, look, we can look past them. We can get past them. Because they're still, we're too commanded to love them. And this leads on to the last one. And Clifford said, thank the Lord. Love, add to your brotherly, brotherly love, love. This brotherly love, when shared among the family of God, will of necessity and by design, overflow into our families. Of necessity and by design, overflow into our families and into our community. Because we realize more and more that Jesus loves me, Jesus loves my brother, and Jesus loves my neighbor. And they're blinded to it. So we need to be, show them love, but it's, it's a bit of pity. I feel sorry for them. You're blinded. They are blinded. So to sharpen our eyesight and keep from being blind, remember to be diligent and add to your life these things. Someone wrote, I don't know who Tom Olson was, but his father used to read this passage to his sons. And he read, add to your faith the virtue or courage of David. Add to to the courage of David, the knowledge of Solomon. Add to the knowledge of Solomon, the patience of Job. Add to the patience of Job, the godliness of Daniel. And to the godliness of Daniel, Daniel, the brotherly kindness of Jonathan. And to the brotherly kindness of Jonathan, the love of John. It's in these days of distractions where everything is jumping up in front of us, demanding our attention, demanding that we just see this and no more. This is important, that we develop these things, that we cultivate them. It is vital that we exercise our spiritual eyes and we look beyond our thumb at the things beyond through the lies and follow the truth. There's lies out there that want our attention, that wants to distract us. It's absolutely wonderful. God's all things that pertain to life and godliness has been provided. There's nothing left. That's it.